What's up? How's it going, everybody? It's good to see you guys. Let's go. Hey, can we give it up for our band for leading us tonight in worship and in musical worship? Thank you. Super thankful for them, and I'm super thankful for you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, man, I was just preparing this passage today. I, I was reading through it, and I was uh, getting so pumped for it, and I was just thinking about you guys and uh, how thankful I am to be here with you guys every single week. Um, there's weeks where it's tempting to feel like, man, like Wednesdays come all the time, and they're really stressful, and there's a lot of things that go on. Um, but oftentimes, the moments where we get to worship and we get to sing together, uh, it makes it all worth it. Looking at your faces, seeing you guys understand and grow in the knowledge of Scripture, it is a privilege and an honor to do that. And so, uh, yeah, just super thankful for you guys. And if you're brand new tonight, welcome. We're super glad that you're here. Uh, if you're, like, introverted and you fear, feel terrified of, like, introducing yourself and talking to people, uh, I'll introduce myself first. My name's Noah. I'm super glad that you're here. We would love to talk to you. We would love to tell you more about Citizens Youth and what we're all about here. And so, yeah, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're finishing up Acts chapter 5 tonight. We are cruising along in the book of Acts, and we are going to see the immovable uh, church continue to go out and to continue to spread the good news of Jesus. It is an unstoppable force. I was thinking about this as I was preparing. I was like, what is the most like unstoppable thing in the universe, right? Like, or like something that would be really terrifying if it was like running at you at hundred miles an hour. Okay, like if you were driving, like you ever see one of those smart cars that are like as big as like a person and like people barely fit inside of them. Have you seen those? They're like very, okay, yes, maybe so. The room's kind of divided. They're like, what's a car? Ooh. Um, so let's say you're, you're in a smart car and you're going over the train tracks and your car dies right on the train tracks. And all of a sudden, a massive freight train is going down. Um, that's a pretty unstoppable thing. Like you're, the, the smart car is not really like gonna, it's not gonna really stand the test of time in that situation, right? If you're standing at like the base of like a massive mountain and you're about to go skiing and all of a sudden you hear someone say avalanche and you look up and there's just a massive thing, like a pile of snow coming at you, like, yeah, uh, you know, not looking too great for you. That's, uh, that's pretty unstoppable. But I would argue that the most unstoppable force in the universe is a group of sixth grade boys after they had Red Bull. <laughs> where are the sixth graders at? Where are the sixth grade boys? Come on, where are we at? Woo! Have you ever had Red Bull? No. Good, good. You keep it that way. So I have this story. Um, I, I was helping lead at a camp a, f a few years ago and the, the, the prize like for this game, didn't think about it. We're like, what, what do kids like? What do they love? We're like, we know. Red Bull. Kids love Red Bull. They're great. I'm sure all their parents let them drink it. It's awesome. This is what happens when like 21-year-olds run like camps. And you're just like, perfect. Yeah, we'll give them out Red Bull. And uh, somehow my small group one, they were in sixth or seventh grade at the time. I think they were going into seventh grade, so they were just getting out of sixth grade. And uh, they won and, and they bring, I think it was like a case of 24 from like Costco or Sam's Club. Yeah, it was a massive thing. And we're like, congratulations, you won the game. They take it away. I had to deal with some other stuff. And then I go back to the cabin with the co-leader. And I kid you not, when I opened the door, the things I saw, I've been in therapy with ever since. No, I'm just kidding. I looked down and I'm not kidding. At least half the cans were empty in the trash can. And I just look and I'm like, huh. Interesting. Where did all these go? Oh no. And it hit with me that like 1130 at night, they just chugged Red Bulls. And I'm telling you, man, they were unstoppable. 
They, they couldn't stop talking. They couldn't stop running around. They're like picking up their bunk beds and throwing them. I'm like, how'd you get so strong? You're like 4'2". Like, what's going on? Like, how is this happening, right? And I'm telling you, if I was like in a situation where it's like, hey, there's a lion on the loose somewhere in this building. You need to choose your fighters. I'd say sixth graders, come on. I'd give you Mountain Dew or Red Bull. And I'd say, I think that the, I think that the sixth grader is going to take it. I just, I just believe that as a person. I think that the sixth graders with that much energy are an unstoppable force that could defeat anything. And I did not get any sleep that night, nor did any of those dudes. And it was really, really sad. The one kid, it was hilarious. He was like holding up like the, the Red Bull can, like not like a normal guy. Like he was like holding it with his fingers and he was like, my precious, right? My pre-. And he was like, I was like, why are you holding it like that? He's like, my parents never let me have sugar at home. And I was like, oh, well, they should have told me that before they sent you the camp. But um, unstoppable. I could not get them to stop. And we're seeing a group of people here um, who have been so extremely effective in their ministry that they are just this unstoppable force. We've been reading through it for the past few weeks, five, five-ish weeks now, I think it is at this point. Uh, and before that, we were in the Acts 1 through 3 for, for many weeks. The, the, the early church is on the move. They are not slowing down. They're not stopping. The first three chapters of Acts, we saw that there wasn't like a ton of oppression happening. There wasn't a ton of pressure being put on the apostles or the followers of Jesus. But we've saw the past two weeks that that is no longer the case. And we're going to see for the rest of this book, as you read it or as we continue to read it here in student ministry, the pressure is now on for the church. The pressure is now on for the church to say, hey, are we going to endure this thing? Like, is this for real? Are we going to keep this thing going? Because the rulers and the authorities, the people who are above us are starting to warn us. They're starting to tell us that we can't do the things that we're doing. We can't say the things that we're saying. We can't believe the things that we believe because it is questioning their beliefs. It is is causing their power to diminish. And tonight we're going to see that the church rises to the occasion of oppression. The church has a righteous defiance here in Acts chapter 5 as we pick up in verse 17. Before, before we read, I want to pray for this passage. It is so special, so important. Let me pray for it. God, thank you for tonight. I pray that you would bless the time that we have uh, studying and understanding your word. I pray that we would um, uh, apply these truths to our lives, that we wouldn't just um, hear and understand, uh, but that we would know, believe, and we would do the things that it is causing us, uh, calling us to do. And uh, we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. So after the ministry of healing, the apostolic uh, ministry of healing and miracles, things are happening and happening in Solomon's portico specifically. Um, All these things are happening. And verse 17 says this, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. In the first few verses here, we see a people uh, who were delivered to share. Delivered to share. They were delivered from prison to then immediately go and share the gospel. The first verse we see uh, the high priest, um, one of the people responsible for the murder of Jesus, their best friend, and happens to be the Lord of the universe. This guy is filled with what? Jealousy. 
He's filled with jealousy. It says here in verse 17, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in prison. We see jealous and corrupt uh, leaders, jealous of a genuine move of God, men who work their whole lives to gain authority and power, watching it slip right through their fingers because of some people who are professing Jesus. They're jealous. They see the ministry happening. We want miracles. We want people to think that we're doing awesome. We want people to know that we're in charge. And like this right now makes it look like we're not in charge because they're doing the things that we told them not to do. And they're just watching it. This is crisis mode for them, right? They're, they're sitting in their meetings and they're thinking, how are we going to best spin this to make it look like we are in charge when very clearly they are not in charge. And so then the decision was, okay, let's just, let's just get them together. I know we tried this last time, but it's not just Peter and John, all the apostles straight to jail, right to jail. Let's just put them in jail. And then we see an angel of the Lord, what? Deliver them. We're going to talk about that here in a second. I think it's important to know at the very beginning of this passage that when you face oppression in your life, it doesn't mean because you're wrong. When you face obstacles and hurdles in your ministry to your friends, it doesn't mean it's because you're wrong. It doesn't mean it's because you're sinful. It doesn't mean because you're not doing it right. People who are genuinely on the track to follow God on mission will face opposition like this. It didn't say anything like some of their hearts were skewed and so the Lord put them in jail. It doesn't say any of that. It says because the leaders were jealous, they were then thrown in in jail. The Spirit of God gives us boldness for situations like this in our lives. The Spirit gives you and I boldness, right? Spirit plus boldness equals power. When we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have the boldness that comes with the Spirit, we have an immense power. In moments like this, it could have been very easy to be like, all right, you guys, you're not listening. You're going to jail. Whoa, 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 hey, man, maybe we're at jail. I don't know. We don't need to do that, right? Okay, will you stop teaching the name of Jesus? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit, right? It's easy moments like that to compromise on your faith, but no boldness fills the apostles and they continue to defy man and man's rule and they get placed in jail. And just because you face opposition in your life, just because you face emotional uh, hurdles, just because you face problems, situations that really seem like this couldn't be the case, right? I was trying to serve the Lord and this really hard thing happened to me. Just because you face those things doesn't mean that you should stop. It doesn't mean that God's not working. It doesn't mean that you're in the wrong because when we try and attempt to live out our faith on mission for God, you will face obstacles. You will. It is just a very fact of our relationship with God. The Spirit empowers boldness for right here and right now, for situations like this. Sometimes we look at this and think, wow, when I'm genuinely following the Lord, I can can end up in a jail cell. I can end up in a situation where my very life is at risk. The reality is, as we continue to read this passage, we're gonna see that no matter what, If it's God's will, it will happen. But if it's man's will, it won't happen. If it is God's will for you to go to prison or to face, you know, a loss of a friendship or to face some sort of uh, emotional ridicule, whatever it is that you might face for the sake of the gospel, if it is God calling you to do it, it is the right thing to endure and he will use it. It is the right thing for you to endure being made fun of in class if you have a t-shirt that says, you know, something like Citizens Youth, and you're like, oh yeah, I love youth group, and people make fun of you, they don't want to talk to you about it. If God leads you to do things like that, 
that it is worth the pain that you might endure. Look at this. It says, but during the night, like it's just like one verse, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. We see an angel immediately just open the doors, walk them out and say, okay, cool. Uh, I know you didn't get much sleep last night and uh, it looks like the sun's coming up. So go and teach the gospel some more. Like in like two verses, this incredible thing happens. There's a lot of irony in this because the Sadducees, the people who would have uh, specifically uh, arrested these people and had them put in prison, uh, they were people who did not even believe that angels were real. I was reading this. I didn't know this before I started studying this. They wouldn't have believed angels were real and angels immediately are like, oh, cool. Like these people are putting you in prison. Cool, well, God sent us to release you. It's just this incredible irony that I thought was really cool. Deliverance is often a tool used to grow our conviction to preach. Deliverance is often a tool that helps us be more convicted that we need to preach the gospel. In moments like this, I'm sure, right? Like imagine these guys, they're understanding and recognize that they could like immediately, like in the morning, like these guys could be asleep and in the morning, they're all gonna be crucified. That could have been a possibility. And for many of them, that will be something that happens. And they may have thought in that moment that that was going to happen. But when the angel of God delivers them, they use this as an opportunity for their testimony. When things in life happen to you that are difficult and the Lord delivers you from it, he doesn't just call you to be like, oh, cool. Like as a Christian, God delivers me from all these hard things. It's awesome. I just kind of keep it to myself. No, we get to share those stories. The reality is that this wasn't uh, just a story that the apostles got to keep to themselves. This was a part of the testimony of the spirit of God moving and growing and multiplying his church. And in your life, when things are difficult, when things are just like, this is awful, but the Lord brought me through it. We use those moments as tools for our testimony. Deliverance is a tool that God uses. Deliverance is a tool that God uses. Moments when you're like, wow, I'll never do that again. I learned my lesson. I went out on a limb to share the gospel and I got really hurt. Never, never doing that again. I was serving the Lord and I experienced the loss of someone that I really loved, really cared about. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm done with this Jesus thing for a little bit. Or, you know, I, I had I'd shared my faith and all of a sudden I'm in trouble at school for it. Like I, I learned my lesson in moments where it's tempting to think that way. In dark seasons, like when you're in the prison cells, maybe literally one day, but maybe perhaps not. When you're in a season and a difficult situation, it's easy to think, well, I've messed something up. I've learned my lesson. I'm going to take a step back. The Lord often calls us the, the, the things that the enemy tries to use to tear you down. Those things that happen that the enemy would say, look, you've lost. Where's your God now? What are you going to do about this? The Lord will deliver us from not just to be like, cool, I'm not like emotionally hurting anymore, but to go back up and do what? Go and teach the words of life. We don't have a ton of time to talk about the theology of angels here, but an angel just means messenger. A messenger from God came in a miraculous moment. I wonder what the guards were doing. Probably, perhaps, a little tired, a little snoozy, because apparently at least 12 guys just walked out, probably more, and just waltzed through, and then are like going to preach some more. But, but, but God will use the things that the enemy tries to use for evil. He will use them for good as a part of your testimony. These people are delivered to share 
the gospel. They are not delivered so that they can be more comfortable. They're not delivered so that they can just say, sweet, now I have a comfortable pillow to sleep on tonight, unlike last night, and you know, Bartholomew was snoring, and it was the worst. Like, you know, God delivers us from these things as part of our testimony and to share the good news more effectively and with more conviction. The call of spreading the good news is not something that fits into this nine to five uh, range. The call to preach the good news isn't this tempted or passive calling that you receive as a Christian. It is something that is going to be laced with inconveniences, difficulty, pain, and yes, possibly death and hatred because Jesus says, before they hate you, they hated me. Jesus says that they hate you because they hate me. And the reality is we should expect this. And when God delivers us from that pain, we get right back up where we were. I wonder how many people in the room right now are in a season where they got knocked down. They felt like they were growing in their faith. They felt like they were sharing the gospel. Something bad happened. They're like, yeah, I'm just gonna like stay here. I'm just gonna like, you know, maybe I'm back up. I'm not as sad as I was a couple months ago, but like jumping right back in. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. These people are delivered to teach and to share. God's ultimately delivered us from sin and the eternal separation, but he will often deliver us from trials that we face today. How are you using your testimony to leverage the truth of the gospel in your life? When God brings you through a season of depression, are you using that as part of your testimony to share the gospel? When God carries you through a loss of a loved one, are you using that as a tool for the gospel? What difficulties has God equipped you with that you didn't want to see? that you didn't want to feel, that you didn't want to experience, what are the things that God has given you and delivered you from that he is now calling you to use? I've seen this in my life before. Just this week, there's a thing that happened, you know, a year and a half ago to me that I was just like, this, this was like, I would say to this day, it's the hardest thing I walked through. And I was like, I will never uh, be able to help anyone else through that. Like, it's just, God's not gonna use it. It's bad, the enemy won, and that's it. And just this very week, I got to talk to someone who walked through the exact same thing I did. And all of a sudden I realized God is using that hard moment to help me get other people through it. God is using my difficulty and pain as an opportunity to do what? Speak the words of life. God delivers us and he uses that deliverance as an act and as a tool to see the gospel formed in our hearts. So this happens. It's pretty awesome. There's no, there's no stopping the church of God, right? It's a, it's a couple verses here, right? It's just like oppression, uh, deliverance, like within the first few verses, right? And there's no stopping the church of God. If you're a believer, you are part of the greatest force for good in the history of the universe. You are a part of an organization that's not perfect, right? But you are a part of something that Jesus himself says the gates of hell won't stand against it. And we're seeing this and we are encouraged by these stories that are absolutely true. So after this happens, there's a hilarious scene that unfolds. We have a lot of verses to read, and so will you pay attention with me? Promise, pay attention with me as we read the next few verses. Look at your Bible at verse uh, 21. And so um, the verses um, here is verse 21, and like there's a new paragraph right in the middle. I don't see that a lot, but it was funny. Um, so it's the second half of verse 21. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together a council and the Senate of the people of Israel. 
This is like a congressional hearing, right? This is a bunch of people like in like official looking gear and like they are ready, they're getting business done. And if you walked into this room while they're meeting, you're like, uh-oh, something serious is happening. If I say the wrong thing, I'm gonna be in the wrong situation, right? So there's all these serious people. They're all gathered together, uh, the, the, the Senate and the people of Israel. So it's this uh, militant and religious connection here. The Sadducees specifically uh, agree with Rome, unfortunately, and they're allowing Rome to occupy the land. They kind of have this unspoken agreement, um, and ultimately it's a lot for power and material gain. The apostles don't have that drive, and the apostles have the Holy Spirit, and so they're gathered together to figure out how they can squish this uh, rebellion. And verse 22 says this. This is so funny. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. Imagine those guys. Hey, guys, go, can you go get those prisoners? They go and they look down and they're like, oh no, I'm getting fired today, aren't I? They're like, was you, was, who was on, who was on, were you on guard? And they're all like for arguing and they're like, oh, okay. Uh, so they, 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 they returned and reported, <laughs> look at this, verse 23. We found the prison securely locked. The guy's listening, okay. You found the prison securely locked, okay. Yeah, and uh, the guards were standing at the doors. Okay, guards standing at the doors. But, small detail, when we open them, you're going to think this is layers. We didn't find anyone inside. Prison's still there. The prison didn't disappear. People didn't disappear. Door was locked. Um, but the prisoners, not exactly, how would I say it, uh, in the space they're supposed to. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, listen to this, they were greatly perplexed about them. Yeah, I would say so. Imagine that. They're like, all right, bring in the prisoners. They're not here. Greatly perplexed is the word the Bible uses. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> they were greatly perplexed, wondering, what, what, what would this come to? What would this come to? What's happening? And someone came and told them, verse 25 might be my favorite out of the whole passage. Imagine this. I, you know, I kind of joked a few weeks ago, um, these people, they watch Jesus rise to power. They watch Jesus preach and do miracles. They try and for years to fight him. And then they finally get to the point where they actually kill the guy. And they're like, whew. Solve that problem. Some guy walks in and is like, hey, Jesus, he's back, right? And they're like, what? And then, 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 then it's like, the guy later is like, okay, wait, Jesus, he ascends into heaven. They're like, thank goodness. Okay, but his followers, yeah, talking about Jesus a ton. No, let's arrest him. And then there's this back and forth. And I always imagine that it's the same guy telling the, the Sadducees the bad news. It's definitely different people, but I imagine it's just this dude who's like, hey guys, I'm sorry, but like, they're still doing the things we told them not to do. And I imagine it's this guy here, but again, that's not in scripture. I just, think it's, I just think it's funny. Verse 25 says this, and someone, don't know who it was, don't know which group they were affiliated, came to them and said, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. I imagine he's watched them all argue like, where did these guys go? And he looks out and he's like, oh, there they are. Hey, look, they're in, the t they're in the temple. I don't know. Hey, don't know. It's not me. They're out there, man. I don't know. I just here to deliver bad news to you guys. The captain went with the, the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So first they're like, you're under arrest. And then they break out of prison. They're like, can you come talk to us, please? But we're not going to grab you, right? Because these people are going to kill us. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, 
uh, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Look, they don't ask him, like, how'd you get out of prison? We're not, we're not gonna ask that. We're not gonna ask that. Why, why are you teaching in this name? Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, this is key. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. We see in this moment that God's way is always supposed to be over man's. God's way over man's way. That's your second point tonight. God's way is the best way. It is always supposed to be over whatever authority, whatever ruler is placed above you. God's way is the best way and God's way is the only way. Look at what they charge him with. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. He won't say the name. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. In a world full of compromises, the apostles stand firm on truth. I need you to hear that. People won't hate you for being spiritual. People won't hate you for donating money to humanitarian affairs. People won't hate you for spreading love. People won't hate you for being a person that goes to church on Sunday. Listen to this. People will hate you because you profess Jesus as Lord. They, they're fine with religion. We're tolerable of religion. We're tolerable of beliefs. You can be spiritual. You can pray in a certain setting. You can do whatever you want on Sunday morning as long as it's not affecting me. People will hate you, won't hate you for being a person who comes to citizens' youth, but they will hate you if you do what? Profess the name of Jesus. And these guys, right, they're not trying to say, they're not trying to say, don't teach, don't do miracles. What is their charge? We specifically charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you are. And that's the thing that they won't compromise on. All right, just keep doing your thing, but could you just like be a bit more chill about it? All right, like keep doing your thing. We're love it. glad you're happy, but like, what do you, like, Jesus, really? Could you just like, and what does Peter say? It says, with the rest of the apostles, they all agree and they say, we have to follow God over man. We have to follow what God has called me to do. It is the most important thing that I can do. Follow God's way over man's way. Don't compromise on the name of Jesus. Don't compromise. Don't be ashamed. Here we have a righteous defiance on full display. We see the laws of government and man broken in order to keep God's law intact in order to please God. The apostles are in prison, then they're out of prison, then they're in like uh, this trial and they use even this moment as an opportunity to teach the gospel, right? They say, they don't, don't talk about Jesus, don't speak of his name and look at what happens. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, right? The leaders of Israel, the leaders of religious Israel, the leaders of the state of Israel at the time. Look at this. He says to bring repentance to Israel, to take care of, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey. Oppression is used by God to spread the gospel. And the hardened heart of the Sadducees hear this truth right here before them. You killed him. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. 
but he came so that Israel would repent. Even in this moment, they had an opportunity to repent. They had an opportunity to turn and understand who Jesus is. Oppressions used by God, the gospel is pretty simple in this state, in this moment. Sin is, uh, is nature. It's sin is the nature inside of all of us, uh, the things that we do against God's will. The tiny voice at the back of your head saying, I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't watch this, I shouldn't feel this way, I shouldn't do this thing because I know it is wrong for me. That's sin. That is what we all feel and experience. We all have some sort of conviction. And the reality is that sin separates us from God. Uh, it separates us from God. There's a gap, a distance between the two. And every single one of us had hardened hearts at one point in time until we recognized that we needed to be reconciled with Jesus. We need to be reconciled with God and the holiness of God. And the only way is what? Through repentance and Jesus. God exalted him at his right hand, leader and savior to give us repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't come just to spread good vibes and to set an example and to be a really cool person that we can look up to and say we should all try and be like him in some kind of cosmic sense. No, Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and man because of your sinfulness. And we make fun of these Sadducees so often, we're like, why couldn't they see it? But at one point in time, every single one of us couldn't see it either. Every single one of us, these guys, they don't want to submit to God for a few things. They don't want to submit to Jesus. One, they killed him. So that makes things a little awkward, right? They could have repented and God would have forgiven them. But they're like, we killed the guy. I don't know if we can, we, we got to double down on our lives here. They knew who he was. They, they knew who he was. They didn't want to own up to it. Why? Because they didn't want to lose their authority. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And we make fun of the guy, these guys so often as Christians, but every single one of us were in the same spot at one point in time. I want to do what I think is right. Surely that can't be wrong. I, I think I've got this thing figured out. I know that, you know, God's probably loving. I'm sure the good things that I've done have outweighed the bad. So we're all good, right? I'm not hurting anyone else. So I don't need to submit my life to anyone. I don't need to be checked by anyone who, you know, we're all in a situation where we need this repentance. We need this Jesus to save us. We need to repent and to know Jesus. And it says what? The forgiveness of sins. And that's what these guys can't shut up about. Maybe there's someone in the room who needs to hear that message today. Or maybe you've been like these leaders and you've heard it so many times. You've had people, you probably could recite the gospel better than someone who actually believes it. Many of you in this room. You could probably write an essay on what does it mean to be a Christian and you get an A plus, but you don't believe it. You could go around and share the gospel with someone else and they could receive it and you still haven't. It's possible. It's happened before. Is there someone in the room whose heart is like some of these men saying, I, you know, I know about this. I've seen it. You know, it seems like miracles are happening. That's great. I just, I'm not ready. Not ready to give it up. My sin, my authority, my life, I'm not ready to give it up. Maybe in 10 years, maybe in five years, maybe if there's some more miracles, maybe if somebody... You know, I'm not ready. I'm not going to do it. I pray for the person with the hardened heart in the room. Listen to the call of the Holy Spirit. You cannot run any longer. We need forgiveness. We need repentance. And the kindness of God leads us to repentance, right? It's not the fear. It's not the anger. It's not the jealousy. It's the kindness of God that would call you to repentance. You can't turn a blind eye and hope, maybe this Jesus thing goes away. 
You can't turn a blind eye and say, you know, maybe this thing isn't going to really get much bigger. No, just like these men had to come face to face with the reality of what was going on. Every single one of us has to ask ourselves, who is Jesus and who is he to me? What do I believe about him? They don't have a great response. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, still unrepentant, still fighting for their power. But as Pharisee in the name of the council named Gamamel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave the orders to put the men outside for a little while. So things are getting out of hand. People are yelling. People are probably throwing stuff. Crucify them like their friend. Let's get them out of here. And Gamamel's like, oh, hold up, guys. Can we get them away? And let's just have a chat here. And Gamamel is this guy with this funny name, right? He uses his opportunity, right? He doesn't even know at the time, but he is speaking the truth of God to these men. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men, a.k.a. watch yourselves. I mean, take care, think about it. For before these days, uh, a theodist rose up claiming to be someone, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census. And he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. So he's using two examples of people who rose to power, again, not of God, in man's uh, you know, selfish ambition. They're trying to manipulate people, and both of these people perish. And Gamamel's using this opportunity. He's like, guys, listen, remember those guys from a couple years ago? Yeah, so they fizzled out. I want you to think about that while I say this. Look at this, verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this is a plan or an undertaking, for if this is a plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. Listen to that. If it's something that man has built and constructed, it's not going to work. But if God is building it and God is using it, it's not even worth trying. You versus the God of the universe, right? The enemy versus the God of the universe. Mankind in his sinfulness against the God in the universe. It's not going to work out great. This guy is like, listen, I mean, wait and think about it. If it really truly is something from God, we can't stop it. In a moment of what I imagine humility, in a moment where they all had to recognize and see that they were wrong in this, we see Gamamel say, listen, if it's God's way, it's going to happen. And we can't stand opposed to this. Look at what happens here, verse 40. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to go and speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. And every day in the temple from the ho- and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching the name that is Christ, or that is Christ, that the Christ is Jesus, excuse me. They didn't stop preaching and proclaiming the gospel. In the final passage here, in the final verse, we see that these disciples These apostles are bruised, but they're not broken. They're beaten, but they're not destroyed. They're brought low, but they're still able to live. They walk out of this meeting with a couple black eyes while they share the gospel. 
They walk out of there, maybe some of them in a sling as they begin to speak and teach the good name of Jesus. Our bruises and scars for the sake of the gospel don't deter us from our testimony. They actually push us and push the gospel further than we thought we could go, right? When you have bruises or scars for the sake of the gospel, maybe not physically, it's quite possible that it will be physical, but if it's not physical, emotional wounds, uh, 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 you know, problems, scars, wounds that deeply hurt, betrayal, whatever it means, God uses those things to propel the gospel further. It doesn't deter us from teaching. It doesn't stop us from believing stronger. It actually makes it more legitimate. These guys keep getting in trouble, and now they look really rough. That guy, Thomas, lost a couple of teeth but they're still teaching the gospel? How is that possible? They lost friends and they're still teaching the gospel. You got made fun of for not going to that party and they're still teaching the gospel. Your family's going through a divorce and you're still teaching the gospel. I have a friend in my life I know whose you know, nine, 10 year old son has a inoperable brain cancer. His brain, he's got a tumor in his brain. He is uh, not doing well. And it came out of nowhere. Some of my you know, really good friends I knew from, from back in Illinois, they posted on Facebook. And I was just like, what? And their influence has never been bigger for the gospel. Our scars and our bruises, our wounds, our hurts, our pain, God uses those things to propel the gospel forward. And as we approach Easter and as we think about what it is that Easter means to us as Christians, we should be thankful that someone was willing to take a few bruises for us. We need to be thankful that someone, Jesus, was willing to take the punches for us. And more so than that, the beatings, the whippings, the flogging, and the crucifixion that every single one of us deserved. Look at their response. It says that they, it was crazy. They were, they were honored. They were honored. They were rejoicing that they could be worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. How many of us at the first sight of opposition, we say, God, how could you let this happen? Me, God, you know, I'm just trying to humbly serve you. And all of a sudden things at work are struggling. Like, what the heck, God? Like, oh, God, I'm just trying to serve you. And now my friends don't want to talk to me. How could this be? How often do we have this attitude when we learn to look at this passage and say, Jesus, it is an honor to suffer dishonor of my body, of my life for your name. It is an honor to suffer for the sake of the gospel. How often do we have that perspective in America? Very little. We try and stuff the Jesus and the calling of ministry into like this like American dream-esque thing. Like you preach the gospel for a lot of years like and have a really nice house and a really perfect family. When the reality is, Jesus, it is an honor to lose everything for you. Jesus, it is an honor to face persecution because of like it, it pales in comparison to what you did for me. I believe they, they like, you know, like, these guys were crazy. Now this is how we all have to think. Like these guys saw it happen, right? They saw Jesus get arrested. They saw him be beaten. They weren't there at the, the, the crucifixion, but they, they saw, they heard about it, right? They know that Jesus died for them and they thought, what is it for us 
Like, what, what do I have that I can't give back to God? What do I have and I have, uh, you know, taken from me, uh, torn from my presence, beaten into me, all of those things, what an honor if I'm serving Christ. How often do we have that perspective? It's what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first God's kingdom and all of the things will be added onto you. Sometimes I think we feel so dissatisfied in our lives because we are seeking all the things that Jesus said don't matter. We're striving after the things that, said moth, that Jesus said the moth would come to eat and to destroy when we are selfishly and aimlessly pursuing our own selfish desires and an inconvenience happens, we can't be thinking, God, why would we do this? But I need you to understand this. When we pursue God and when we obey him with our lives, he provides for us everything that we need. When we pursue God with our lives, he provides for us everything that we need. That's our main idea. As we obey God, he will provide. As you obey God, he will provide. And not only that, as we suffer for God, as we struggle, as we toil, he will provide for you. Reading this, verse 42, and every day in the temple from house to house, I love it, not ceasing and teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus in small groups, in church, in your schools, wherever it is, the mission doesn't stop. There's no boundaries for the gospel of Jesus. There are no obstacles that he can't overcome. There's no pain that is too strong that he can't heal as we pursue Jesus. As we like serve God on mission, he is able to give us everything that we need. I wonder how many of you think that like, like, oh, I, I have to suffer and like, I have no help. And like the worst part about trying to share the gospel is like, I literally have nothing, to, no one to help me. Like, when we lose things for the sake of the gospel, God will give us the things that we need. If you lose friends because you're not willing to compromise on your testimony and to do whatever dumb stuff your friends are calling you to do, when you lose those friends, praise God and God will provide for you other friends. I believe that. This isn't like some sort of like name it and claim it belief system. This isn't some sort of like manifestation, but I truly believe that God will give you everything that you need in order to accomplish the thing that he has called you to do. I believe that with all my heart. And as we obey God through pain, through difficulty, through this is confusing. I don't understand why someone would do this to me. As we obey God, he will provide. I want you to believe that. I want you to know that. I want you to see that moving forward with your life. Are you backing down because you're worried about a few, a few bruises? Are you compromising on truth in the face of lies? Are you wondering if it's even worth it? As you obey God, he will provide for you the things that you need. And as you rally together as the church, right? You're the church. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you know Jesus, you're a part of the church. This is an unstoppable thing. It hasn't stopped in 2,000 years and it's not stopping anytime soon. Will you rally together to be on mission. We see people delivered to share. We see God's way over man's way, and we see that we can be bruised but not broken as God will provide for us and for you everything you need. He will deliver you, and even if he does, right? And even if you die for your faith, the Lord ultimately delivers you into his presence.
Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for this word. I pray that you would continue to convict our hearts, that you would continue to um, guide us and bring us closer to yourself. I pray for um, healing and reconciliation in the room where it needs to happen. I pray for people who have hardened hearts um, right now, who are like uh, some of these religious leaders who are crossing their arms and thinking, I've heard it, I know it, I know the things to say, but I don't think I've ever repented and turned to Christ. I pray for those people right now that they, that they wouldn't uh, fear that conversation, but that they would have it with a small group leader, that they would have it with me or with a friend, whatever it may be, God. I pray that you would uh, convict us where we need to be convicted and continue to grow us. Uh, where we need to grow, Lord. Allow us to recognize uh, the mission you've put before us. Help us not to be apathetic. Help us not to be lazy. Help us not to just say, well, I'm sure someone else will tell that guy about Jesus. Help us. Help us to do it, Lord. Give these people boldness. Give these students boldness as they go into their schools and their homes, Lord. We pray all this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.